0: i super fast. i So, Yeah, John left, like, yeah. so much Yeah, yeah you Thank yeah. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you tell us we are in your word. We pray that you give us the grace to live into that faithfully. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, good to see all of you today as we continue our uh, trip to the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. We began last week, uh, this most famous teaching narrative of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you remember, Jesus began his teaching ministry uh, right after the baptism and the temptation. Uh, so he was baptized then in the wilderness and, t- um, and tempted. And then he began his ministry saying, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he, he gathered up his disciples, uh, began to gather a, a messianic community of disciples to follow him. Around and it says that he went up on a mountain and began to, to, to teach his disciples that they were the ones that he's speaking to now. He's speaking to followers of him. And we we said last week that the Sermon on the Mount really is uh, is a description of the life that has repented because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king is here, Jesus, and we are to repent, which is not to say that we are to clean up our act, which, although that's a good idea, you should, and so should I, but it is to say that we come to the end of ourselves, uh, we change, we turn in our thinking, that we're not relying on ourselves anymore, we're relying on, uh, on God, the Beatitudes then are a uh, not just a preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, but a progression of spiritual maturity, we begin with, uh, we're blessed when we are at the end of ourselves, we're poor in our own spirit, no longer trusting in ourselves for our salvation. So therefore, we uh, inherit the kingdom uh, of, we inherit the earth. Uh, We we inherit the kingdom of heaven because we're relying on the Savior. And then we mourn our sins because we've seen his righteousness. And we, uh, that humbles us and makes us meek, not weak, but meek. And then uh, because of that, we begin to want to be like Him. And so we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that makes us merciful. We begin to have some sympathy and apathy. Uh, not apathy, empathy. <laughs> apathy, that would be sort of coming out of. Um, and on and on. So, uh, so the, the Sermon on the Mount begins with this uh, progression of spiritual maturity and the, the Beatitudes, which I call the Beatitudes, the attitudes that we're supposed to be. And so if you are progressing in spiritual maturity, and of course that's a lifelong journey, that's not like, you know, check the box I am, uh, and, and move on with your life, but um, we always are, then then here is who you become. You become salt and light. So Jesus says to God, this passage that we have, we're in just in verses 13 through 20, salt and light, and then um, why Jesus came, which, which is pretty hard-hitting. Um, but this comes right on the heels of Beatitudes on purpose. They're not, it would be better if we just had a 10-hour teaching and went through the whole thing, so we could just see that it flows uh, one piece to the next. If you are progressing in your spiritual life you become salt and light. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp uh, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right. So let me ask you: What, when you hear about salt and light, what do you think about? What, what is, uh, or what questions do you have that come to mind? I
1: think of salt, doesn't it?
0: Salt as an enhancement. Say more. So like if
1: we are salt, we are to make better, enhance okay. the lives
0: of others. Yeah, we're to make make the lives of others better, enhance them. Okay, I can go there. I think we will go there. That's good. What else? Makes you
1: thirsty.
0: Makes you thirsty. <laughs> yes. Absolutely it does. Salt does. Um. I think for both of these things, what, what we want to begin with, at least what I'd like to begin with, is that, that our life matters. Like how, how we live our lives matters in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus says repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not because I like my subjects' lives in order, but because the way you live your life, actually reflects upon the One to whom you've given your life in the eyes of others. It does not matter for salvation because we are saved by grace and not by our own works. Our works are uh, a response of gratitude and thanksgiving and, and worship and praise. We are saved by His mercy and His grace, not by our own works. But our works do spread the Gospel and our works do uh, give glory to uh, to God, we are the means by which other people see and hear the gospel message. We are the ones by whom Jesus and the church are judged by. By whom? Anyway, you know my grammar. You know you know the point. We're the ones that uh, the world sees and makes a judgment on Jesus and on the church. I mean, how many people have you known who says, uh, said that they gave up on the church because, uh, or gave up on God because Christians behave badly. More than one, I bet. More than one. Uh, and so, um, and it, it, I would say God, that, God made a very dangerous move. If I were Him, I wouldn't have trusted you. <laughs> or me, for that matter. Uh, in fact, especially. But there's a sort of recklessness about His sovereignty, and I mean that in the best way. This sort of wildness. And and by His sovereignty, you and I are the means by which the Word spreads. And so you're the salt of the earth, you're you're the light of the world. Uh, and, and it makes me think of the passage that Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says... Uh, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all has richly blessed all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, says Paul, can they call on Him? How can they call on Him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they're sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obey the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes through the message about Christ. Faith comes by hearing. People, uh, God didn't just, I mean, He did put it in a book and give it to us. But He also put it on our hearts and said, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. So I would say it's a dangerous prospect. Faith comes by hearing. And so it is important that we live lives that do Him well. We don't always. But what He's saying is that your life, as one who has repented and therefore is spiritually progressing, your life isn't just about yourself anymore. It's for others. Because we're to love, we love God, we've got that, because we're repenting. And now we have to love our neighbor. So we're the salt of the earth. Now how do you, when you hear the salt phrase salt of the earth, normally at least I have heard you you, salt, oh yeah, that, he's just a salt of the earth guy. I think about, um, so one image sticks out in my mind, this guy, dad had a flat tire and this bubba pulled over uh, in his pickup truck and, and helped dad with his flat tire. Maybe it was mom, I don't know, dad could probably do it himself. But um, he just said, oh yeah, that guy was just, just salt of the earth, You know, just a good old salt of the earth fella. You ever think about somebody who's salt to the earth? We just we use the phrase to describe people who are hardworking and kind and simple. At least, I, at least, just sort of you know they're just salt to the earth. That's not the way Jesus uses this. It's a fine you know I, we know what we mean. There's nothing wrong with using that phrase that way, but it is not what Jesus means. It's it comes to us in the context of the beatitudes of those who are spiritually progressing. And when you have when you become Uh, when your life becomes not about your own self, but about others, that others may hear and receive the good news that you've heard and received, you become salt. So what does salt do? Somebody said it it enhances. It enhances. It gives flavor to things that are bland. And so we want to enhance. We want to give flavor to people's lives. Good flavor, not bad flavor. Some people have bad taste in their mouth about Christians. Be good flavor, right? What else does salt do? It preserves, preserves things that might otherwise go bad. That's why bacon is so delicious, right? (laughs) But why they can put fully cooked bacon just on the end cap and not in a freezer, which is kind of not, you know, that's kind of gross, actually, if you think about it. But but it must have a lot. The salt has preserved it. I hope that's all it is. All right. Uh, so salt preserves things that would go bad. Another way that we uh, use salt is to give traction so that we don't slip, right? And Jesus does talk about love well, it's bad, we throw it on the ground. And I'm not really talking about that. But what I mean is that we use salt in that way. Things that might uh, slip off the road and get, get off track that we put salt down so we don't slip. But the main thing I think about is what James said, it makes you thirsty. Your life, and my life, ought to make people thirst for Jesus. And they have that, you know, when you eat something that's just too salty, and you just have that taste in your mouth. I've got to walk, you just, walk it down. And he's like, "That's kind of what we need to be doing for people." I just, the only thing that's going to quench this is, is Jesus. And I see it in Josh's life, I see it in Kay's life, I see it in Jim's life, and I need that. And so. We, may, we want them to be thirsty. We don't want to. I guess in a sense, we don't want to cram it down their throat. We want them to want it. You know, they cram it down their own throat because it's like thawing them, thawing them out. Those thawing like, them thawing. out. Do It slowly, slowly. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like you and I are still probably thawing out a little bit. we got, we got a little icy. I'm, I'm totally ice I got a you, long way to go. Yeah, thawing. yeah. Well, you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> But it comes with a warning, doesn't it? What if salt loses its saltiness? What is Jesus talking about? Chemically speaking, sodium chloride cannot lose its saltiness. <laughs> Chemically speaking, salt can't lose its saltiness. But spiritually speaking, you and I can lose our saltiness. Actually, I get—I'll I, I, pick up another kind of saltiness. But that's—that's the—that's that's another thing. Um, uh, we lose that repentant heart because that's what makes you salty in the good way, the way that Jesus wants us to be salt. We lose that repentant heart. Um, it just becomes, you know it just becomes part of who we are. we kind of forget um, we lose that poverty of spirit. We don't mean to, it's just part of our fallenness, but we 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 think, look, well, I've kind of figured this thing out. I, I kind of um, and, and we don't we don't voice we don't articulate to ourselves that we're, we are now relying on ourselves for our salvation, um, but, we, but we do. We cease to mourn our sins. We seek to be meek and, um, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we cease then, because of that, we cease to be an agent of preservation and traction. We, and and we, we need those things again ourselves. And so when I lose my saltiness, in that sense, I need you. To be salt for me, and vice versa. So it's not—it's—it's it's all of our jobs. This is not just for the preachers. This is for all of us as Christians. We are the salt of the earth, but not from the earth. We're salt of the earth in the sense that we belong to the to the whole world. And and it's and you now um, are to give this to make them thirsty and to help preserve things and give traction to their spiritual life. How do you keep that? How do you not lose your saltiness? Because otherwise you're going to get trampled. You keep a repentant heart. And so, that's why we, I think that's probably why we have it, confession in the confession in the service every week. But if you're like me, I mean, that's just saying the words, oh, Almighty God, we confess our sins. We, like, in thought, word, and deed, like that can just become rote. It's why, it's why we offer a little pause. Let's confess, confess our sins to God and our neighbor, and then we pause for a little while because we want you to confess your sins, not just say the general, oh, I can't think of anything. Um, the um, Give it time. It's there. I promise. How do we avoid that? Well, it just so happens we put it up on the wall. You connect to God in worship. You serve God uh by serving other people, and you grow in the Word. You're here growing in Bible study. Now, thank you. Bring your friends. If, you know, if each one of you brought a friend next week, we would double. It's just math, y'all. Connect, grow, and serve. Those are, that's how we avoid losing the repentant heart. Continually re- connecting to God, growing in our faith, because the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Which Every time I do that, it just makes me humble that God wants to have a relationship with so you're the salt of the earth. But you doesn't stop there. You're also the light of the world. When was the last time you saw a flashlight that could shine on itself? No such thing. A flashlight doesn't give light to itself. A lighthouse doesn't give light to itself. It shines outward. It exists to shine on other things. It exists to give, it, to give its own light away. So tell we talked about salt, preserves and gives traction and makes you thirsty. What about light? Why would Jesus use this analogy? What is it about? How, how are you the light of the world? What does light do that would be a good way to think about this? It reveals things. It reveals things that are in, especially those things that are in darkness, right? Like my garage looks fine as long as the, the light is off. You know? Turn on that light. Oh my gosh. Amen. No, um, the uh, um, no, it's me. Um, so it exposes things that are in the darkness. It, it brings them to light. That's what that's what we would say, and, and that's, that's a good thing because I couldn't, you know, I would trip over that stuff in the garage without a light. And I can get around it, and just leave it there. No, I can uh, clean it up uh, because the lights are on. I can't clean up the garage if the lights are off. So you're the light of the world. You help people see because you're seeing in your own life. You're repenting of your own stuff. You're helping people see by the act of your own repentance and your own good life that you that they they actually are having things exposed in their own life. It highlights things that are otherwise hard to see. Have you ever tried to read in the dark? Yes, I mean, not in the dark, but in that real dim light, and you just think, I see that there are words here, but I can't tell what they are. Um, I, that didn't used to happen to me, but now it does. I think something has changed. Um <laughs> It ha- light helps us see things as they really are. It helps us to see things as they really are. And it help- light also helps living things to grow. Put a plant uh, in the dark and it's going to die. It needs, even if you water it, it needs light. Right? It needs light. So, you're the light of the world. You, we are to expose things that are in darkness... Again, in a way that makes them thir- thirsty, that makes sense. We use both those analogies, not in a way that makes them run for the darkness. We help people think, see, We help people see things that are hard to see. We help um, uh, people see things as they really are, and we help living th- things grow. <clears throat> Salt and light don't exist for themselves, right? I mean, is this for other people yeah since he said that Josh had uh, something I just, to say you <coughs> already kind of moved on but I was just saying it just dawned on me light also is synonymous like always been kind of um, symbolic of safety whereas darkness is danger you know, at night predators come out and you're, you're in danger you light a fire to help you know, just keep more bring light to keep you know, danger at bay you know, throughout human history light is safety also. yeah yeah light is safety Um, Hey, Keith, uh, James was right to close that door, but if you you can just pull down the, the, um, yeah, that thing, without knocking over the coffee, that would be really good. Because it is kind of loud. Maybe we can pull the coffee forward. All right. All right, so back to me. It's just... (laughs) Feel free to get some coffee if you need it. All right. So the the life of the repentant disciple—it doesn't belong to us anymore, right? But we're dependent on God. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're willing to face persecution, and so we're a life lived on mission for others. Again, we don't see people as projects. That's important. Like I don't see my neighbor. I just love my neighbor. I don't see him as you know somebody I got to change. Jesus is the one who does the changing for them, just like he did for me. But I do need to love on him. I do need to share my life with him. And part of my life is, in fact, the main part of my life is Jesus. So uh, we're on mission. Now, interesting, Jesus never claims to be the salt of the earth, but he does also say that he is the light of the world, right? Over in John Chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So who is it? Are you the light of the world, or is he the light of the world? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, Jesus uh, is, yes, is both. Of course, he, he said it, right? So, he called us the light of the world. But he called it, called us the light of the world I think, because He's the light of the world and we're the repentant ones living in Him. And so he, His life isn't for Himself, it's for us. And so because we're in Him, now our life isn't for us, it's for others. So we're to shine His light. Yes, sir? I think the main thing that, that I think about is that it's like a, a mirror, if you shine a light on a mirror
1: we're the reflection of Christ. We don't take any credit for ourselves, but we're that reflection that goes on to the earth. So it really is Him working
0: through us, but it's not us. Yeah, He's the sun; we're the moon, right? right. We're still bright in a dark space, but not quite as bright as He is. Yeah, we're, but we're, we have a reflective light. He's the actual light. When I shine a mirror on a mirror, when I shine a light on a mirror, I usually have to close my eyes. <laughs> um, but we are invited to share His mission. Absolutely. Now, boy, isn't this great? Look at us. We're repentant. We're hungry and thirsting for righteousness. We're willing to face persecution. Jesus is talking about us. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Aren't we
1: awesome?
0: Just so we don't get a big head. less <laughs> we think about is now about us living a good life. Jesus gives this big, huge check against our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness. And he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. In other words, I'm not not inventing something new. I I haven't come to now... Again, that whole God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament thing is false. God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. I'm not making up some new religion. I'm fulfilling what is ancient. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, it's actually Yoda, like in Star Wars, Yoda, (laughs) not a Yoda, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're still governed, says Jesus, by the law and the prophets. This is very confusing because people will say often, we, of course, we don't take the Bible literally. The Bible says if we took the Bible literally, none of us would be blending. Fabrics and or eat shrimp and um, and because that's the law. So is Jesus saying that we, that you're all going to hell because you're wearing cotton poly blends right now? Is that is that what he's saying? He's shellfish, but that's that's good. Um, what what is what is the how do we understand that Jesus has not come to abolish the law, not a jot or a tittle? You know, I used to think. Mom used to say, I don't, you know, she would say, I don't, that doesn't matter to me, one iota. I don't know, did your, your mom ever say that to you? One iota. It's just, the, it's, the le, it's the letter I in Greek, is the smallest letter. It's, it's yoda. The smallest letter it is. Okay, the, um, the, um the um <laughs> So, how do you understand that? You were still governed Jesus says, I'm not coming come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Are we governed by the law? The Old Testament was his prophecy. The Old Testament was his prophecy. Okay. What does that mean?
1: He tells the story of him coming.
0: So okay. he has to fulfill everything within the
1: within, within the stored rhetoric.
0: Right. is what's why we need a Savior. The, lo- the law is why we need a Savior. Say more about that. Um, because everyone has broken the law. And none of us, well,
1: we all said it is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, so there's no no one that is sinless. We've all sinned against God through breaking the law. And
0: uh, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Uh, yes. Well, that's right. That's r- Absolutely. We've all sinned fallen short of the glory of God. So what is the law? It describes, fundamentally, the glory of God. It, it ex- it, the law is the expression of God's character, and it expresses the right way for us to acknowledge His holiness by our own life. And He doesn't relax it a little bit. Not even a little bit, not one iota. The law is good, but the law works like a mirror. The law um, is like a mirror because sh- you, know, you look in the mirror to see where you need to fix your hair. If you have hair or you know, where you need to shave. But in, in other words, what-, what Jim said, the law shows us why we need a savior. The law diagnoses the disease does not offer the cure because we can't do it. We've already broken it. But Jesus says, He doesn't just say, try harder, keep trying hard, try harder next time. He he takes it to the full hilt. It's completely completely insurmountable, essentially. Um, The law is good. It's not bad. The problem is that we're bad. We're, We're not good in the sense that the law is good. I mean, you're a bad person. That's not what I mean. I mean that we're not perfect. Now, the Pharisees would have loved this. They would have loved what Jesus is saying. Oh, God. You kind of word this with that whole beatitude stuff. But now you're saying you haven't come to take away the law. And in fact, what he says is whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, said the Pharisees, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees are going, ah, oh, whew, we love this guy, because that's what they did. They were meticulous to the letter of the law, tithing dill and cumin. I never. I don't know about you, I've never tithed dill and cumin. I've well, never actually received it as a gift. But the um, uh, and please don't pay me that way. But the... Um, <laughs> but... Uh, just, just to clarify. Um, the one, they're, they're thinking, wow, this is fantastic. Now again, the, the, the repentant disciples are the ones who are there to listen to him. but they would have loved this um, because they're meticulous. Remember what Paul says about uh, describing himself when he was living the life of a Pharisee? That he, uh, he as it as to the law, Blameless. The Pharisees actually had, uh, reason. I mean, they would, who, who knew, I mean, they still offered sacrifice, but as close as you could possibly get, they held to the law. And it was amazing. But then he does, Jesus does this do do and he says, uh, this undercut, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get in to the kingdom of heaven. Hold on a second. <laughs> we've we've just confessed our sins in, in the um in the baptism with the baptism of John. We want to live a better life. We've said we're gonna to try to follow the law, and you tell us that unless we do better than the ones who never mess it up, we're not getting it. And the Pharisees are white with fury because now they're embarrassed and look to be called not righteous enough. How can anyone exceed their righteousness? What Jesus is going to begin to show us in the Sermon on the Mount is that there's a difference between doing the law and fulfilling the law. We're really going to talk about that in depth next week. But doing the law is outward. Most of us will get through life never having killed anyone and therefore having done that law, right? The law, you shall not murder. Check that box. Did it. Jesus is going to say, we're going to see next week. No, I don't just mean doing it outwardly, but doing it in your heart. Like if you even hate somebody, if you wish they were dead, you you're just as guilty. Most of us will get through life never having committed adultery. Great, check the box. No, Jesus says, if you even have a lustful thought, you're just as guilty. Because the law is not just a matter of outward, like God wants us in line, it's a matter of how we love God. Because if I'm doing the law meticulously outwardly, in order to get into heaven, i.e. in order to save my own skin, then who am I serving? Myself. I'm not doing it because I love God. I'm doing it because I love myself. I don't want God to be mad at me. I want Him to give me His goodies. So I'm going to do everything because I love myself. It looks the same. Because if you have received the kingdom of heaven because you've come to the impoverished spirit, I can't rely on myself and my own good works anymore, but I can only rely on God and His grace that in response to that, actually, the law becomes dear. I want to do the law. I want to do it just because I love God and I love what God loves, which I love my neighbor. And so I fulfill the law when I love, I do what it says because I love God. And it actually isn't even difficult. (coughs) I I don't fulfill the law when I just do what it says to save my own skin. So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to show that the law is a matter of the heart. And if you read, can read the Sermon on the Mount and think, ah, I love this because it's practical. I love the Sermon on the Mount because I, now it tells me what I can do. You're not paying attention. Because it, Jesus takes the law, which is already basically insurmountable, and pushes it the, into the sky. So, it leaves us, it's going to leave us when the law is doing its work, saying, I need, I need help. It's gonna, it's gonna push us to our knees. And so, what is that what what it happens when we're on our knees? Poverty of spirit. What happens when poverty of spirit? We mourn our sins. What happens when we mourn our sins? We receive a savior. And it humbles us. So you see how it works. You can't you can't begin to uh, understand the Sermon on the Mount if you don't start with the Beatitudes and the Poverty of Spirit. But if you start there, then we want, because we love our Savior, we want to do the things it says. So, that's where we are. I've actually got a few minutes if you want to have a little discussion, little questions. That's that's where we are. You're the salt of the earth, but don't get a big head about it, Right? <laughs> Because the law is still in effect. And if the law is still in effect and you need a savior, guess what? You got one. Fantastic. So, thoughts, questions, loopholes? Observations. So why exactly can we eat shrimp? (laughs) Ah, good question. Why can we (laughs) eat shrimp? (laughs) Why is my wife why is my wife able to make me mow the lawn today? Because uh, it's the Sabbath, I'm supposed to rest, right? Yeah.
1: We, gotta, we gotta take this offline.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let me. I mean, I mean this, the work, yeah, on, I, work, the work on the Sabbath. Work on uh, the Sabbath. Work. work on the Sabbath. Well, yesterday was the Sabbath. Well, okay, fine. Yes, um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you didn't do it yesterday, you're out of luck, buddy, uh, uh, today. Um, the, why can we wear pop- cotton poly blends and, um, and don't have to put a, a, a fence around our rooftops and, and those sorts of things? All of the law is um, can basically be traced back to one of the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it's hard and it's not quite intuitive. But for instance, um, why can you not wear cotton poly blends well that was a way to, for them to distinguish unity of fabric was a just way to just uh, sort of wear unity of faith uh, you, they're unified they're, they have one God and, and it's reflected in, uh, even in, to the, into the fabric that they're wearing um, we don't it, it's a fine thing to do but that's not how we need to reflect that to our culture Right, that's not, um, and so we. It's not that it's um, that it's a contradiction, but he has fulfilled it. He's fulfilled the law, and so your requirement now is moral. That is not a moral uh, requirement anymore. Uh, shellfish and other thing, uh, things that were unclean, uh, Jesus actually declared all food clean. Why? Because he made it. And because we don't need to keep ourselves pure by what we eat anymore, because we declare pure by the grace of God, and so, um, and so that's that's how we understand that, and it and it can be murky a little bit, I think, but it is it is um, uh, he is it, we are still bound to the moral law of God, and still therefore need a Savior, but we're not bound to the ritual law uh, of God because and and the the purity laws of God because we're already. Um, pure. Yes sir. Well a lot of the
1: shellfish and cooking meat on one table and, and uh, vegetables on another were all because they didn't understand bacteria back then and they would have all died off if they hadn't had those laws in place to keep them alive and it's just like the there also was a law that they couldn't travel on on the Sabbath they had to be home so the Jews used to take a piece of Furniture with them so they can say
0: they were at home, you know, even though they're 100 miles away. Loopholes. That <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. That's very clever. Um, I, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And a lot of, thank you for saying that, because a lot of the laws actually did, whether they knew it or not, in retrospect, we know now scientifically that a lot of the laws actually were given by God to protect them because God is the God of life. And we don't need those things quite as much anymore. Wayne. With- oh, sorry. Wayne had his hand up. And then... I was just saying, ever since I've been about 50 and had a heart attack episode, I've been told to stay away from salt. Right. Oh, he didn't say... No, no, no. So, <laughs> you are salt. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't say... <laughs> no, that's shellfish and salt. Now, you might... You know, I am salt. Okay, yeah. you are salt. Don't eat it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was just going to say that... The- Part of it is, is I, I think part of what Jesus is saying too, is if it, 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 you're just busy trying to check off the letter of the law, you're missing the point. Yes. You're, so you've made the law really above God.
0: Yes, that's right. You,
1: you've that's made the law the thing, not God's intent.
0: That's right. If you're just checking off things in the law, you've made the law God. rather. It, you're serving the law rather than actually using the law to serve God. So there's, there's um, different ways to think about the law. And let me, um, without getting too nerdy, let me, let me um, say that the law shows us where we go wrong. Yes. We also need the law because it, it provides order in our society, right? So that's two uses of the law. The third use of the law is that it teaches us how we are supposed to live to say thank you to God. Now, um, some would say, this is sort of angels on the head of a pen stuff for for most people, but it actually was an enormous deal in my seminary, argued and argued about this. But some would say, it teaches us how to obey uh, God now by diagnosing our sin and, and providing order. And so, there is no third use of the law that's redundant. It really doesn't matter, does it? Like we we want to do with the what not just the Old Testament law, but it, but even the commandments of Jesus and the commandments of the way, the descriptions of, that Paul lays out and Peter lays out for for us to live our lives. We want to do those things. Why? Because we love Jesus. And when we fall short, we return to Him, poor in spirit, and are and are um, humbled by His grace. Last thing. I just want
1: to know thing to know, too, is back in Jesus' time, salt was actually worth more than gold. That's how valuable it was. Because you could get gold, and but salt was only mm-hmm. in certain areas and had to be traveled for hundreds and hundreds of miles
0: to get to certain places. So Yes, and he uh, says that, that salt was more valuable than gold uh, back in there. Um, which is interesting because uh, I have lots of salt at home, but not a lot of gold. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that. <laughs> Wealthy man I am. All right, I love you. I'll see you in church or uh, next week. Uh if you've already been to church. God bless you. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so they, well, they were from Publix. Well, I thought so. Yeah. I have
1: never
0: had a Publix. So oh. Those were, yeah, they were really, I really good. The bread. Mm-hmm. Oh. Really,
1: yeah, really good. I don't know why I was reading well. I guess that breakfast was starting today, so we got North here at oh, no. 8.30, yeah. so the children, I've got dogs in their eyelids. and so I went in and opened the fridge to see if there was something I could give them, and there's some leftover sandwiches, so I wrapped one in a nap and heated it, in the microwave, and we alternated most of it, but then had one
0: back, I thought it was just as <laughs> <just laughs> good, and put it on. I'm glad.